Welcome to this edition of A View from the Top. I'm John Morris, and joined in studio by Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. Uh, Bishop, as always, it's great to see you again. John, good to be with you and with our listeners. Words getting out about courageously living the gospel and things are underway. I know that uh, your staff and there's been some training going on around our diocese. Yeah, as you know, we uh, we introduced or announced our vision back in mid-June and then just had a relaunch the weekend of September 9th in our parishes. We find ourselves right now in the midst of the implementation phase, and that begins by offering training sessions to our parishes, to our pastors, to our pastoral center staff, as you mentioned, and even the staff here at Spirit FM uh, is present for those training sessions as well. We're looking forward to being a, a valuable tool and resource for many of the parishes and a liaison between you, the listener, and what's going on in the parishes and keeping you informed of how we can more courageously live the gospel. Uh, earlier this week, you had a chance to go to Morningstar School. Morningstar School is a very unique school here in our Diocese of St. Petersburg. Tell us about that visit. Well, John, it was my second visit to Morningstar since I've been here in the diocese, and always a joy, you know, to, to be with the school, to be with those beautiful students there. And the reason for my visit this time was to celebrate their 60th anniversary of their founding. So uh, 1958, they were founded. And over these 60 years, they have really served the needs of a population of our, our students, of our children who have special needs uh, here in our community. So it's uh, been a blessing for our community, and I always enjoy the opportunity to see the students and, and the faculty there as well. As you can imagine, it's a special vocation or calling to serve our, our beautiful students with special needs. I heard recently someone asking, regarding courageously living the gospel, why don't we see more educational facilities for high school students? Because Morningstar goes K through 8. Would there be anything down the road that might be out there to answer that kind of question? And that's a great question, John. And I, I think back to the listening sessions that I had here in our diocese early last year. And I did hear on many occasions individuals expressing the need for secondary education for those with special needs, particularly, as you said, at the high school level. Uh, it is something that I'm aware of, and I've had some thoughts about how we might be able to address that need here in our diocese. I would say there's no immediate plans, but it is something that's uh, kind of on my radar, as they would say, and, and something I would hope to accomplish, hopefully over the next few years here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. One of the goals is educating our young people and providing facilities for that education. Another goal is providing shelters of hope for those less fortunate. And you just had a groundbreaking up in Citrus County. Tell us about that. We sure did. Uh, that was a great day to go up to Citrus County and to have the groundbreaking for the St. Vincent housing project there. Phase one will be 10 units of affordable housing. Uh, two of those 10 units are specifically designated for veterans. So that's a, a kind of a unique feature there. Eventually, we're hoping to have additional phases which could add an additional 10 units of affordable housing to serve the, the poor, the working poor up in Citrus County. So it was uh, great to get that started. And I look forward, hopefully in about a year, to going back for the actual uh, blessing of St. Vincent Housing. Is that a fully diocesan operation, or are we partnering with other groups in the community up in Citrus? No, it's well, it's a community effort. I mean, it's not something that we could do on our own, so we do partner with various groups uh, up in that area, community groups, 
uh, that are even not affiliated with the church, but see that need in their community and they want to help. We do use Florida Housing Corporation to obtain the financing for the project, uh, which is how we're able to do a lot of these things. And uh, this is really just one of the first, as you, you mentioned or alluded to, one of our goals was to establish eight to 10 new locations of affordable housing here in our diocese. So this is one of the ones that's uh, well on the way to becoming a reality. Do you have any other in the works in the next year or so that you've, you've planned out yet, or is that still in the embryonic stages? There is one project that we're looking at getting started out at St. Francis of Assisi Parish out in Seffner. Uh, that one's not coming out of the ground just yet, but the uh, plans are on the drawing board. So hopefully we'll get that one going in the near future. Back in uh, April, May, you released some announcements of new appointments in local parishes. And now we're in that season uh, throughout the summer and, and now early into the fall where we're getting around to installing them. And two are taking place or have taken place, one at St. Lawrence and one at the Cathedral of St. Jude the Apostle. Yeah, it's a great uh, time for me to go to parishes. Uh, first of all, I always enjoy visiting our parishes to to get to be with the faithful there to celebrate the Mass. And just most recently was at St. Lawrence to install Father Dan Cajun as the new pastor there. And then also at our cathedral where I installed Father Art Pruel as the rector of the cathedral. The the bishop is the proper pastor of a cathedral, but the rector is the one that he entrusts to, to you know, for the day-to-day operations there. So it was great. And uh, the installation rite, as we call it, takes place after the homily. So I present the candidate to be named pastor to the congregation. They usually affirm that choice with, with some applause. Then I ask him to renew his promises that he made at ordination, including, and the last question is, you know, do you promise respect and obedience to me and my successors? <laughs> it's always good to hear a yes to that answer, <laughs> <That's> John. <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the two men who they replaced are in different positions now uh, here in the diocese. Monsignor Mike Moore, who, a little side note, uh, witnessed the marriage of my wife and I 25 years ago. Very good man. What's he doing now? Well, Father Mike Moore was um, nominated by his brother priest to fulfill a new position in our diocese called the Director of Ministry to Priests. So his specific position or role now is to serve the priests of our diocese, uh, whether they have spiritual needs or uh, need for a sabbatical, whether they're planning uh, like a retirement in the next few years and they need some guidance on how to do that. Uh, he'll be visiting with our priests that are sick or in the hospital or in nursing homes. Uh, he'll be meeting with our younger clergy to see what their needs might be to help them to more fully live their priesthood here in our diocese. So uh, it's a great blessing to have a position like this, a full-time priest to, to serve our priests and to minister to them. And those who know Monsignor Mike Moore know that he's a, a very, very good priest, a humble man, spiritual man, and uh, has a lot of fraternal care for his brothers. A great mentor, I'll say, as well. And then uh, Father Joe Waters, who uh, transitioned from the cathedral to the tribunal. That's right, John. Uh, I, I asked Father Waters to be our judicial vicar. Uh, that's a canonical position that each diocese has. And the judicial vicar serves as the chief or primary judge in the diocese with regard to canonical matters and issues that come up. 
Uh, much of the work that he does is in our marriage tribunal, looking at annulment requests and permissions or dispensations that might be needed when somebody wants to get married in the church. So those are some things that he does. So it's been a, a change for him going from being the rector of the cathedral to working at the pastoral center. But uh, he is a gifted canonist here in our diocese, and we are blessed to have him. Absolutely. Uh, we also had someone visiting St. Lawrence Parish here a couple of weeks ago, Bishop Shelton Five, who is from one of the Louisiana dioceses. He's from Homa Thibodeau Diocese in southern Louisiana, I believe. Right. And he also works with the USCCB in race relations. Bishop Fobb is the current uh, chairman of the USCCB Committee Against Racism. This is an ad hoc committee that was formed about a year or two ago to recognize, uh, you know, that this still is an issue in our church and and here in our country that we need to address. And uh, probably in the next, I would say, six months to a year, you'll see a, a document come out from the Bishop's Conference on this issue. But in the meantime, we are doing things locally to address the issue. We had a listening session that you attended, I attended, and Bishop uh, Fobb was there. And about 200 others. I was surprised, number one, at the number of people that were there and the diversity on racism in the U.S. and in the Catholic Church. And I was wondering, well, there's no racism in the Catholic Church. But I think you and I were surprised of what we heard. I was, John. Uh, first of all, I, I agree with you. I thought the turnout was, uh, was, was awesome. I mean, to have a couple hundred people come that evening to to share their stories and their concerns and to listen and learn, I thought was was very good, a good sign here in our community. The event was moderated, and as you said, it was an opportunity for people to come forth and to share uh, either historically or even more recently discrimination or racism that they have experienced in the church is primarily what we were interested in hearing from them about for me as a bishop, it was you know discerning, uh, disturbing rather to to hear some of these things, but it was also a learning opportunity for me. Bishop Fobb said that a document was going to be voted on come November. Uh, one of the many things that will be going on at, the, at that November meeting, but uh, it will deal with racism. I know that the people here in the diocese and across the country will be interested in not only seeing that document, but see how it's going to be implemented in our parishes as well. Uh, of course, and you know, people say, "What can you do?" Well, I I think the first thing is to acknowledge the issue, as we have done here in our diocese, and to listen to those very painful uh, stories and accounts of uh, people that from people that have experienced racism in their own lives and and faith lives. So, we as a diocese, in addressing this issue and kind of being uh, upfront about it, in a certain sense, we're being courageous. You know, our vision: courageously living the gospel takes courage to, to, to bring this issue up and to, to try to face it head on. The hope, of course, is by acknowledging it, that it will lead to a greater awareness and sensitivity on our part so that things that have happened in the past won't happen again. Same could be said about all the, the things going on with the abuse scandal. You came out with a statement just about a week or so ago addressing reparations. Talk about how this developed for you. You know, since uh, or as these current scandals and crisis have um, emerged, I have, like many bishops around the country, have felt the need that we 
bring this to a to a spiritual to a, a prayerful uh, point or level here in our diocese so i i did consult with our priests the priests here in our diocese and about what might be appropriate in terms of prayer or penance and and reparation one of the things john that i heard from our pastors and our priests was that they felt very strongly about doing something on a local level so meaning in their own parishes rather than having one big diocesan mass of reparation or an event like that. And that makes sense to me because, you know, the the pastor is the local shepherd and he knows his flock. And so he knows what how his flock is hurting and what steps might be needed to uh, to help them through this difficult time. Some of our pastors have already held listening sessions at their parishes, an opportunity for the faithful to come forth and to, to share what they're feeling. And many of our parishes have already done things such as Stations of the Cross or Holy Hours, special Masses and Intentions. So that will be continuing. What I asked in the statement that I issued is that every parish in our diocese undertake some form or forms of prayer penance and reparation in response to these current crises that exist. So hopefully if you're a parishioner at one of our local parishes, you'll be hearing a little bit more about that if you haven't already in your uh, locale. I'd like to just add, John, you know, uh, something that people might wonder is, you know, I had nothing to do with, with these abuses and with the cover-ups. Uh, I'm a, a lay person in the church. Why am I being asked to do prayer and penance and reparation? Well, as I said in my statement, you know, I, I recognize that, no, you were not responsible. Most people were not. But yet we know the power of prayer. And so even though it, you weren't the one responsible for committing these crimes and these atrocious acts, we can certainly join in the prayer for healing, for reparation, and for guidance as we move forward as a church. I was struck by what you just said, because you don't ever know that person sitting beside you at Mass, or maybe you're in a small prayer community with your group, and you don't know that maybe someone in that group was harmed by someone else, maybe not even related with the church at all. Just something happened in their past, in their childhood, teenager, whatever, and this whole episode brings back you know memories. So it's always important to lift our brothers and sisters up in prayer, even though it had nothing to do with you. We're all called to be accountable to hold each other up. That's right, John. And uh, as you alluded to, I mean, abuse, uh, not a, just an issue in the church, but in society in general, including in families and schools and so forth. And uh, times like this bring all those memories back to the, to the present. So we do need to pray for those who have been victimized and whose lives have been really irreparably harmed uh, by the actions of others. Now, we know that some of the bishops' leadership in the United States has gone to Rome to talk with the Holy Father. You're going to Rome, but not about that. You're going for a joyous occasion. Tell us about that. Well, I am, John. Um, Actually, in a few days, I'll be heading over to Rome, and the purpose for my trip is to be present for the ordination to the diaconate of one of our seminarians. His name is Ralph D'Elia. Ralph is currently studying at the North American College in Rome, and so he will be ordained a deacon, a transitional deacon, meaning that he's on his way to priesthood, actually on Thursday, September 27th. So I'll be heading over for that event. It's always good to go to Rome and to, to be there and to pray, specifically now to support him. 
And also, I just mentioned to our listeners, this is particularly special for me because I was ordained a deacon in Rome as well. Uh, I studied at the North American College and was ordained a deacon at St. Peter's Basilica back in 1998. Oh, wow. Okay. So nice going back to the old alma mater. It is. (laughs) Always good to go back home. (laughs) Right. So so a question people have asked, why do some seminarians get to go to Rome and others stay local? The United States uh, opened a seminary in Rome in 1859, and um, the reason for that is because the Pope at that time requested that countries have a seminary in Rome, which is, of course, the uh, home of the church. That's where our Pope is, and so uh, they wanted to foster a greater communion or relationship with the different countries, and it was felt that by having men come to Rome for their theological studies and their formation, that doing that in the shadow of St. Peter's and there with the Holy Father, that it would be a, a great blessing to their local churches and dioceses when they go home. There are some men that are asked to go to Rome either because of their academic ability. It, it does require uh, that you be able to that you're good with other languages because in my case I attended the Gregorian University Pontifical Gregorian and um, 95% of my classes were taught in Italian. Now I didn't speak Italian when I went to Rome, but had to learn very very quickly. Do you still have it? I a little bit, John. I probably have enough to order a good pasta and a red wine, you know, <laughs> you but go. that's about it. So. <laughs> You were ordained a priest back here in the States, or were you ordained over there? No, I was ordained a priest at St. James Cathedral in Orlando, which is where I was uh, studying to be a priest when I first discerned my vocation. Could could Ralph be ordained a priest in Rome while he's there, or will he come back here? Most of the men that, um, that are ordained deacons in Rome uh, do return to their home diocese for ordination to priesthood. And that that's pretty well established. Uh, some men have been ordained in Rome by by the Holy Father, uh, but that would be an exception, uh, really, here in the United States. And I, I think it's a good thing because it does give the local church where he will be serving an opportunity to be present and to share in that special day for him of of ordination to priesthood. One last question: Do you believe in magic? <laughs> Talk about Fitz magic. That's or? right. <laughs> John, I, I will just say I have enjoyed uh, the beginning of the season for the Bucks. I'm a big Bucks fan, and I think we're all um, uh, trying to ride this wave however long it may last, and we hope it lasts a long time. It's a great time to be a Tampa Bay sports fan. Hockey's just now getting started. The Rays are trying to hang on to a, a great baseball season, and our Buccaneers are, are playing very well. So, yeah, and, and even one of our priests, is, uh, is uh, a couple of them, I think, are involved with the teams in some fashion. They are. Uh, Father Chuck Dornquist, who's the uh, parochial vicar at St. Lawrence, is the Catholic chaplain to the Buccaneers. So he celebrates Mass for the team each week. And uh, you'll see him on the sideline. He's pretty easy to spot. He has a very distinguished uh, beard. So I wonder he, if he, uh, he's, he's catching up with Fitz, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, but uh, we'll have to wait to see if he starts wearing the bling That's like right. Fitz, Fitzpatrick did. So. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, Bishop, I hope you have traveling mercies uh, to Rome, and may we close with your blessing. And so may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon all of our listeners and remain with them always. Amen.